Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Look out. It's only films to be buried with live. Hello, listen, right, what you're about to hear is a recording of the live episode that we did online for Always Be Comedy. If you don't know Always Be Comedy, it's basically the greatest gig in London. If you're ever looking for a comedy night, it's the best one. The regulars are incredible. It's sort of always an amazing night. Anyway, James Gill, who is an incredible comedian himself and also runs the gig and is the host of the gig, this is his episode. We did it live. There was an audience. The thing is, you won't know that because for some reason there were 300 tracks of audio and it was impossible to mix. So basically, you've just got the sound of me and James, but not the sound of the audience. But I promise they were there. Even if we you might think, oh, they've gone mad. They're talking to no one. There was a, I promise, there was, I swear, honestly, there was an audience. It's a bit like you're about to listen to a studio sitcom without the audience. But there was, I mean, I, I know I sound mad. You have to believe me. There were people there. It wasn't just us shouting into a void. Anyway, this is the recording. I think that's all you need to know. I hope you enjoy it. James is brilliant. Always be comedy is brilliant. Enjoy the show. Thank you very much. Here we go. and welcome to Films to be Buried with Live. My name is Brett Goldstein. I am a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a ball boy, and I love films. As Mark Twain once said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. And the truth is, Stuart Little 2 is the better film. It makes Stuart Little 1 look like a right cunt. It just does. Wow. Mark Twain, not afraid to discuss the big issues there. Every week, I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, and then I get them to discuss the film that means the most to them. Previous guests include Jamila Jamil, Ricky Gervais, and even Ed Gamble. But this week, this episode is special because this episode is being recorded live, online, at Always Be Comedy, the greatest comedy club in all of London, with this audience. Make some noise. Oh, they're fucking good, I tell you. And today's special guest is an MC, a warm-up man, a stand-up, a podcaster, a TV star, a movie star, and most of all, to the people on this Zoom, our generous, brave, and kind leader who we shall never stray from. Please welcome to the show, the magical, the brilliant, the amazing, it's Mr. James Gill! <laughs> James Gill, as I live and breathe, how are you? I'm all right. What a lovely surprise. I had no idea. 
It's very, very good to have you. Now, um, for those of you who, who are listening who may never have been to Always Be Comedy, I'll just let you know, to us, right, and I include myself in this, this is like getting Jesus on as a guest. <laughs> like, like if, you don't, if you don't know what Always Be Comedy is, it's a, it's a cult that one day will have a Netflix documentary made about it. Oh, and, <laughs> and James, James, <laughs> James oh, Gill is the leader. God. So far... So far, as far as I've seen, no crime has been p- committed, but it's a matter of time. James, it's lovely to have you here. Now, other little fun facts for those of you who don't know. Well, I started this podcast maybe two, two and a half years ago. My very first guest, because I love him and I was excited to do it, was in fact James Gill. You may have noticed that that episode is not in the back catalogue. It was nothing wrong with the sound. The sound was fine. <laughs> oh, God. And I loved it, by the way. The problem was that uh, the, the microphone peaked at the amount of crying that James did. <laughs> J- James cried so much that it felt like a war crime to put the episode out. Uh, <laughs> but he's had, he's had two years to toughen up and we're back. <laughs> we're back for a second go. Uh, are, are you excited, James? I'm so happy you're doing it. I'm so excited. I'm truly thrilled. And then I loved your joke uh, recently. There was a tweet. You said something like, given how much you cried last time, uh, what a wonderful idea to add the pressure of making it live online with an audience. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, everyone watching at home, I mean, you know, sometimes you, you start a bet on how long the speeches will be at a wedding. So if anyone wants to start the betting on how many times I weep during this, <laughs> episode we'll start at four i reckon seven is a very good guess okay okay oh jay i have to tell you one thing which is uh we we need a safe word because normally when i record this like if you say something you want to cut you normally you say we say cut this and we cut it but we do have a, an audience so what do you want the safe word to be it would have to be richard gill <laughs> Richard Gill, the two least, the least safe words in comedy. Okay, good, good. That's fantastic. All right. Now, James Gill, you're a movie star yourself. Yeah, I am. I was in Smokey and the Bandit 2. <laughs> yes, so I was, I was in a film called The Festival with Joe Thomas that was made by uh, Ian Morris, one of the co-creators of, of The Inbetweeners. So uh, I got a phone call. And it was we need what we need is a brilliant MC and warm up guy uh, who could perform to seventy thousand people, and I, I went yeah. And they went, do you know anyone? <laughs> uh, so I really, I, I'm so sorry. I really am shoehorning in the gags here. Aren't I? Uh, no, so I. It, but for the record, I didn't set that up. I did realise when I said you've been in films, I sounded like a proper talk show host. Yeah. Like, and now you do your prepared bit, but I didn't know you had a prepared bit. Uh, but no, I'm glad it, you do. I mean, well done. It was uh, you. You were Johnny Carson. I was more than happy to try to be Rodney Dangerfield there. Uh, <laughs> so, so genuinely, I did. I got a phone call, and they said we need, we need someone uh, to MC the the Leeds Festival on the main stage for this scene in the movie. And by pure fluke, unbelievably. I was already emceeing at the Leeds Festival that exact day in the comedy tent. I mean, the most oh, ridiculous wow. coincidence. So I finished emceeing the comedy tent, which was to about, I think it's maybe three, maybe 5,000, could be wrong. And then I then met Joe Thomas and we were driven to the main stage. Had you met Joe Thomas before? I know he's done the gig. I think, now, yeah, but... he'd done always be comedy by then. 
but because of this experience, we went from being quite pally and now we are forever bonded by this experience. And so we got we got we got driven to the main stage. And I remember Joe saying something like, does it have to be called the main stage? You know, so it just, just made it feel more more ominous. And then the two of us were were were, were really I mean, it was beyond nerves because this is this is a unique thing that, that you're doing. So I, I had to go out, do a bit of crowd work. Uh, chat with the crowd and then get Joe out and we would do some bits together to get these crowd shots. And so the two of us were stood side of stage. We had a few minutes to get this shot. Two Door Cinema Club had just finished their set and then I had to go on immediately after Two Door Cinema Club and we had to get this bit nailed. And the two, we were so worked up, side of stage, and we're like, you know, nearly throwing up. And then we finally calmed each other down. And then we were now, like, I would say we were in the zone. Right, let's do this. We're Joe, like chest bumps. Come on, whoo, eye of the tiger. I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it. And then this producer came up to us both and she went, oh, guys, um, just so you know, you can feel free to just walk off if you end up both getting bottled off with piss. <laughs> Fucking hell. Joe and I went, we didn't know that was a possibility. So we went from like being super cool so then the bottle of piss comment, and then it was literally right. You're on, and then I and then I went on, and uh, I've got to, like I know I've, you know I've I've got cracked a few gags there, but if if I can be very earnest, that Please. was the the most remarkable thing that will ever happen to me in my life. I can remember every moment of every moment. It could not have, you know, the comedian in me would like something to have gone wrong. It didn't. Yeah. It was it was perfect. Joe, I mean, Joe Thomas was super nervous, and this this is all absolutely true. And when I introduced him, I'd done my bit. I chatted with the crowd. I'm from Leeds. That you know, it was the Leeds Festival. It was you know, it really was. It was meant to be. And then as I introduced Joe, and he'd been nervous with my hand to God, given that crowd, because this was only a couple of years ago, given that crowd would have been teenagers when the Inbetweeners was on, and they were now all in their twenties. I said this to Joe, Barack Obama himself, honestly would not have got the ovation that Joe Thomas got. Oh, wow. oh and please welcome Joe Thomas. And seven, honestly, 70,000 people lost their fucking shit. <laughs> and we really nailed the bit. And then as we walked off, Joe was, you know, he's like me, you know, he, we can be, we, we both can be nervous guys. And he put his arm around me and he just went, that was all right, wasn't it? And it was... Yeah. It was it was a it was it was so sweet and every time I see him you know we'll always have a lovely hug. I I love Joe Thomas. I think he's absolutely fantastic, and I'll always be really grateful to him and Ian and everyone for this just the most amazing opportunity of a lifetime. That's so cool. Did you um have you done any other acting? Yeah, and then I mean basically every break, nearly nearly every break I've ever had has been thanks to Ian Morris uh, because then he cast me. It was, you know, it was, it was only a small role, but he, he cast me in his sitcom, The First Team, and so I played a reporter in that. And, you know, that was just so exciting, getting to be on the set and having wardrobe and makeup and uh, just meeting the actors and, and all of that. It was... You, you, you know me well enough, and all these guys know me well enough to know what a grateful guy I am. And, and yeah. you know, I never want to be jaded by anything. I always want to feel like this seven-year-old who feels like he's won a competition. And so... Yeah. Even that was, you know, just, uh, it was just awesome. I love that. That is very nice about you. But I, I that, did you ever, were you ever on set and people going, can you just stop saying thank you? We need to get a take. Just, <laughs> it's it's great. We get it. We're happy you're here, but come on. <laughs> it's it's midnight. 
I've been trying to get this shot. <laughs> I've had that my whole... When I was a kid, I used to get teased by the other kids at school because it was like Tourette's, because I was the polite mate. So if a mate's mum gave us a lift, I was the kid that was always going, cheers, cheers, thanks, thanks, cheers, thanks, thanks, cheers, cheers, cheers. And I could hear all my mates in the background going, cheers, 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 thanks, 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 thanks. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh. oh, James. Oh, shit. Yeah? Oh, fuck. I've, I've forgotten to tell you something. What? Ah. What an idiot. No, it's not that I didn't press record. Uh, I have pressed record. It's it's kind of worse than that, actually. It is actually technically worse than that. And I should... We've had so much time to prepare for this. I should have told you. And, oh, there comes... Literally, there comes the Grim Reaper. And now... So that... <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, it, it's... I'll just say, you've, you've died. You're dead. Yeah. Oh, it is sad, isn't it? We all miss it. blow. How how did you die? Such an enthusiastic start as well. What a... I know. <laughs> Pouring my heart out up here. How did I die? I'll tell you how I died, uh, Brett. It was uh, it was it was a, a homeschooling related suicide. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've got fa- I've got. I know that my mum and dad and and my wife are all watching this, and I want them to know that it's it hasn't happened yet. This has happened when I'm a great granddad. It's it's COVID. Oh god, are we still in lockdown when you're in COVID? Yeah, it's fuck. It's COVID. I'm, I'm here to tell you it's COVID seventy three. Okay, okay. Uh, One of the on better lock, sequels. We're on lockdown okay. eight hundred and twelve, and another teacher has just palmed off another full day's teaching on me. I've been told to print off another two hundred and twelve pages in colour. Not double, not double sided. The teacher has just wagged a finger at me and told me that the work has to be handed in at three o'clock that day. I can, I can feel the parents laughing at this because this is this is literally how it is. And then what I've done, Brett, is I've reached for a biro, maybe an HB pencil, Joe Pesci in mm-hmm. Casino, and I've just smashed it into my. Oh, that's, that's how I've right. done. Have you done that in, just to check? You've done that in front of your great grandkids, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's gonna it's gonna scar them for years. Yeah, listen, you want to leave them something to remember you by. <laughs> <laughs> what? The other the other, the other great grandkids for, of, of other grandparents. I, I don't remember my great granddad. <laughs> oh, I remember mine. I'll, I'll never fucking forget. <laughs> well, that's. Do you worry? Do you worry about death, James Gill? Is this something you think about? No, you know me. I'm such I'm such an optimist, and I think it will never happen. Uh, yeah, basically, I'm such an optimist. I'm so positive. I'm sort of convinced, and it's and it's a very childish thing to think this. I'm 42, but I still believe this. Part of me still thinks I think I'm going to live forever. I I think if anyone will, it's you. Actually, to be fair, does it scare you to think if that were ever? No, I've got. I don't want to. I don't want to break it to you that that might not be the case. <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> it's, it's like I... telling someone Santa Claus ain't real. I can't do it. You you might. I, you know me, I like to live in this fool's paradise, Brett, so I, yeah. I never give it a second thought, and I just always assume that everything is going to be absolutely fine, and as you can tell by my head of hair, I've been <laughs> proved wrong a few times down the years. <laughs> well, you know, you've noticed other people die, and I know you never will, but do you think that there's an afterlife for them? Well, I would say, if, on the positive, I gave the eulogy at my gran. I was very super close, like profoundly close with my gran, and I gave the eulogy 
And I absolutely, the most important thing from a comedic point of view is I absolutely fucking roofed the eulogy. Nice. So if I could put a positive spin on my, I mean, very unlikely death, I would like to think that Brett, my friend, you would give that eulogy and you'd smash the shit out of it. Oh, What a gift from one friend to another. What a huge burden to give me with for the rest of your days. <laughs> I could be worrying about that gig forever now. You're the, the person I know that instead of thinking what an honour, you'd think, oh God, the pressure of the gig. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just waiting. Like, how long is it till he has grandkids? So how long have I got to... Oh, oh my... <laughs> Those pencils away from his neck. Uh, well, there's a, there's a film that I've deliberately banned from today's list, and it's on the, it's on the no-no list because it's the, it's the film that triggered the weeping, and that is uh, one of the three films that trigger the weeping is, is Interstellar, which I think is a, 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 yeah. a masterpiece. It, the, the ambition and what, what Nolan is trying to say there, the performances, the fact that it's about a relationship uh, with a father and his daughter, and I've got two girls, and blah, 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 blah. But the, the ending... It's a remarkable ending, and what he, I, I don't really want to spoil it, but Nolan is trying to say that perhaps, you know, if, if we do pass on or if there is another side, maybe we're able to help the people who are, who are here. And there's that very, I, I will spoil it, there's that very emotional scene with McConaughey and the bookcase and passing on the message. And, and so I know, I, I think you and I probably have quite similar beliefs. I know we've had these sorts of chats down the years, and I know you think, you think, Satanism, we, yeah. <laughs> yes. David Icke is God. That's what you said. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Very similar beliefs. Go on. The, uh, but you, you think that we keep coming back, don't you? I do. Yeah, I do think that. And maybe you and I have got this. But you have that in life where you meet someone, and you've only you might have only known them five minutes, but there is a little part of you that thinks, "Oh, I know this dude. I know this dude better than this," mm. and and that sort of ties into what you think you know so you know this thought if you if you were to meet someone and, and you, you've only just met them but you have this ridiculous uh kinship and maybe there is something that you know it's it's uh cloud atlas that's what that book and film is saying is yeah. we all uh i know people have problems with that movie i i love that film so hard i thought it was i like that film yeah i think it's i think it's really really wonderful so maybe you know maybe we do keep coming back around and maybe things live on in in different forms i i, I guess yeah. Luckily, you won't have to worry about that. Um, I'll never have to worry about it. But I would like to. Th- I would like to but, think that, like my grand Enid Hodgson, the greatest person I've ever met. I'd li- I would like to think that our paths would cross in some way, shape, or form again. You know, even even mm. like my youngest daughter Luna, when she smile. I know it's in her jeans that she looks like my grand, but when she cracks a certain smile, it really it hits me right in the solar plexus because she has such a look of of her. You know. Uh, I, you know, I'm a big softy, so yeah, I, 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 I know some people believe that we are all just uh, monkeys on a rock hurtling through space, and when you die, that's your lot. But I dabbled with atheism in my twenties, and and ultimately, it just it it wasn't for me, you know. I, I, I'm the same. I really dabbled quite hard with it. Uh, I was quite, uh, quite a naughty little atheist, but. Uh... I think we were both I, quite I naughty little atheists, Brett. But I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't think it anymore. I just think there's too much going on. Also, if you've ever listened to this particular episode, I'll tell you. On, on when January Jones was on this podcast, she said that when she gave birth to her son, she said she pulled him out of herself, which I've never heard before. But that's an extraordinary achievement. Pulled him out, 
held up her baby and she said she she locked eyes with her newborn baby and she was like that's my granddad yeah i know you we know each other yeah and uh and she had no she was like yeah and so now she's raising her granddad so i guess once you once you once you stab yourself in the neck in front of your grandkids perhaps one of them will give birth to you and be like you when they look at you 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 fucked me up so bad <laughs> I would absolutely love that. That would be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I would so, pop. I'd pop out of there like the little alien in the in Ridley Scott's masterpiece. <laughs> Scuttling around. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, in this in this uh, particular story, there is a heaven, and you get to stop off there for a bit, and uh, it's full of all all your favourite things. Like um... my favourite things. Yeah, just one of them. Uh, well, I would say, I would say Brett Goldstein and always be comedy. Okay, then it's quite terrifying. This heaven that it's just <laughs> <laughs> this heaven is filled with me, clones of me, and clones of the always be comedy audience. Oh, I would love just, that. Uh, actually, that would that would be a pretty fucking great time. To be that fair. would be heaven to me. Yeah. Uh, and and everyone there is obsessed with film, right? And and all they want to know about is your life through film. And the first thing they ask you is, what is the first film you remember seeing, James Gill? Easiest question I could, I could be asked. It was The Great Escape, starring Steve McQueen, directed by John Sturgis, 1963. There it is. And for <clears throat> for most of my life, this has been my favourite ever film. I've seen it so many times. I, I worship this movie. Steve McQueen was my favourite actor. And then you get older and you sort of... Steve McQueen was like my first love, and then you, you you maybe lock eyes with someone else, and that person's planted the seed, and I ended up leaving Steve, and it was it, feel, it felt Steve acrimonious. Who um, did you leave him for? Definitely De- Denzel Washington. Yeah, so He's I my saw, guy. Don't you touch him? Yeah. So I saw I saw the Great Escape. I reckon I was like literally like three. I mean, my mum was watching it. She'll back me up on this. I think I was like three years old when I saw the Great Escape, and. Uh, I would just watch it repeat. It's such an unusual film for a child to watch, but I'd watch it repeatedly. And I just think all the performances in it, there's so much charisma in that movie. James Garner is wonderful. James Coburn, one of the most charismatic movie stars ever. Uh, and then my man McQueen is just, uh, just dominates every scene that he's in. Uh, so I, 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 I literally, I, I worshipped that film so much throughout childhood, my teenage years when I was at uni, I had the posters on the wall but then I watched Glory as a teenager with Denzel, and that's where the seed was planted. And then over time, Denzel has just uh, superseded uh, Steve. I mean, we were t- we were talking in the the, the tech run through, and I have the, I, you know my theory is that Denzel Washington is the greatest actor movie star who has ever lived, and I, you know I would happily yeah. argue my case. It, you know, if if if, if actors uh, are top trumps. Denzel scores nines and tens across pretty much everything. You know, he, he looks incredible. The charisma is ridiculous. He can do Shakespeare. He can make you laugh. He can break your heart. You believe him when he's kissing the leading lady. He can kick a, a, a baddie in the throat and you believe it. Can, I just think the guy can can do everything. But until I got onto Denzel, uh, yeah, it was it was all about McQueen and the the Great Escape. I, I love I love I love Denzel. He is my favourite film star, and it, you know when people say, "Oh, I'd listen, I'd watch them read the phone book," I, I normally think I don't want to see that film, but I would see. 
that film sounds like it's going to win awards. The the person reading the phone book it sounds boring, but I would watch Denzel Washington do it. Can you? I would like Denzel Washington so much. I saw the Equalizer Part Two. That's how much I, I like him. I I, I love the Equalizer Part Two. I interview. I, I am crowbarring my Denzel story. I interviewed Denzel Washington while he was promoting the Equalizer Two, and I got to tell him how much I love that movie. And I got to tell him that there was a scene in the film that really made me cry, and it's when he's he's the He's the lift driver, and he gives the soldier the the lift. Uh, and the, the soldier says, I think he says to the soldier, "What you know? Where are you going to be?" And he says, "Iraq." And Denzel says, "I mean, it's just he's such a good actor." The line is just, "And I'll be here when you get back." But the way Denzel performs it I, I, in this in this press screening room, Denzel goes, "And I'll be here when you get back." And I was like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> "And so, do." Now I'm so sorry. Do you? I mean, this is. I mean, if we're talking performance, seventy thousand was one of the greatest moments of my life. This is up there as well. Was was interviewing Denzel and making Denzel laugh at a very silly line. Is it possible? Is it possible to play it? And you say to the soldier something like, "And I will be there." I mean, I, I cry quite easily, but that really made me tear up when you said, "And I will be there to to pick you up." Um, right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um. So, so the the line. You easy cry. You tear, you tear up easy. Denzel, I burst into tears if somebody opens a bottle of lemonade. <laughs> That's great. I, uh, I've been working away recently. That's huge. It's Denzel a, uh, Washington called you a pussy. That is so huge. <laughs> I know we laughed over the top of that, but he he laughs hard. But then the the when he stops laughing, the line is, "That's great." And uh, yeah, what. That 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 experience of, of chatting with him, he was just he was everything that I because when you put someone on such a pedestal mm. and for him to be everything that I dreamed he would be, and then probably a, a little bit more was uh it was it was absolute dreamer. Can I very quickly tell you a bit of life advice that I once got from from Jeff Bridges? Uh, we may, maybe don't have time. Yeah, of course, yes, a hundred percent yes. So I, I want to interview so I've, I've been very lucky. I've been you know I've interviewed some proper heroes of of not just mine, but heroes of yours, everyone watching, you know, people you, you would consider a hero. I once interviewed Jeff Bridges and he gave me some life advice that I, I tell my girls this every single day to the point where the youngest who is two mimics, mocks me and does my impression of me back to me. So I, I said to Jeff Bridges, I said, you seem to have it all figured out. What, you know, what's the secret? Cause you know, if, if anyone seems to have life cracked, it's, it's Jeff Bridges. And he goes, um, and it's so much cooler in his voice, but imagine his, his amazing accent. He said uh, he was a child star on uh, was it was it Sea Sea Hunt, the show that he made with his dad Lloyd Bridges, and it was mm-hmm. uh, he was a child star on that. And he said every day this was he said it was a big hit in the sixties, I think, and I think it was repeated when when I was a little kid. But anyway, it would be he would be picked he, he would set off for set every single morning. So he says, imagine the power of hearing this every single morning as a child, throughout childhood. And his mum would uh, stand with him on the porch. His mum would crouch down so that she was on his eye level before he set off every morning. And she would say, remember, have fun and enjoy yourself. And he says, if you can imagine. Uh, by the way, that was borderline my first cry of the recording. <laughs> I saw it. I saw it. So he goes, imagine, he goes, imagine the impact that has on you while you're going through childhood to hear that mantra every single day. Remember, enjoy yourself. Remember, have fun. And so every morning I say it to my girls. And before, before I can say it to Luna, the youngest, she will 
cut me off and go, remember, have fun and enjoy yourself. And so mm. I try, I mean, I, I fail at that every day, but if my girls can, uh, can live by that, thanks to uh, Jeff Bridges, then that's, that's a, a nice thing. God, God bless you, James Gill. <laughs> God bless you. You're going to make me go. Uh, what's, the, what's the film that scared you the most? Do you like being scared? I don't know this about you. Yeah, so, uh, so I'm, I'm not one of these people. I don't, I don't miss my single days. I like being in a family. I, I, I was single for, and I've done stand-up about this. I was single for 12 years, and I don't, so I don't, I don't miss it. But one thing I do miss about being single is being able to put on a scary film, and I can just watch it from start to finish and then go to bed. But because my wife is not a fan of scary films, we went through a phase where my wife had convinced herself that she was a fan of scary films. <laughs> but she is not. And so we don't watch them anymore. But what what used to happen, uh, and this happened with a film called Eden Lake, which is a, a, a fine movie, some real good scares in it. But uh, we put Eden Lake on. And that film is exactly 91 minutes long, right? Kelly Riley, Michael Fassbender, and they get uh, scared by some, uh, some let's say... Tommy Targets. Ra- yeah, some, some rascals. But every time something scary happened, my wife would go, right, that's it, turn it off, turn it off. And, so, and it's, not just pause, it's not just pause it until I calm down, it is full on turn it off. And so... In the movie, Kelly Riley would look slightly scared, and my wife would go, "Turn it off," and then that'd be it for the day. And, and then the next day, we'd try it again, and then Michael Fassbender would get a bit scared, and my wife would go, "Turn it off." And so, <laughs> is that, this is absolutely true. We turned a ninety-one minute film into a twenty-five part series. <laughs> and so. So the the I would say that the scariest film I've ever seen I watched before I met my wife and it's a it's an Australian film I, w- I would love to say it's the thing which is which I know is a, a wonderful movie and that did scare me a lot but it's a film called this is Wolf Creek it's an Aussie movie there you go oh yeah that's a horrible film and I watched that with a couple of mates we lived with each other in Tooting three lads in our mid twenties watched that movie and the three of us took it in turns to plead with the other... T- it would have been made, it made a great video. Non-ironic. It w- the, one of us would take it in turns to plead with the other two. Why are we doing this to ourselves? Let's just... <laughs> st- we're getting nothing out of this. We're not enjoying it. Let's stop this. And then and then we would take it in turns to... Uh, in our 20s. Three lads in our 20s living in <laughs> South London. We took it in turns to hide behind a curtain. <laughs> I would say if you haven't seen it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna ruin the ending, but I'm gonna spoil something for you. I found out after watching it, and I was so pleased that I found out after I watched it because it wouldn't be as scary. So if you're listening to this, maybe skip on. But the star of of Wolf Creek is a guy called John Jarrett, and I found out after watching it that he's a he's sort of like an Australian Alan Titchmarsh slash Richard Madeley. He was he's doing like daytime TV presenting. So, if, so thank God. So to me, he was a total unknown. So I believe that he's a psychopath. But obviously, if I was watching that movie with Alan Titchmarsh in it, I'm not going to be hiding behind a curtain. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's uh, that is a horrible movie. But it's uh, you know they've made that horrible movie into a TV show now, and now it's like he, the character Alan Titchmarsh, <laughs> is sort of like a comedy. Is like sort of you know how Freddy Krueger became 
funny. Yeah. Now, now, uh, to be honest, James, I'm so distracted by the idea of a horror film starring Alan Titchmarsh on a killing spree that I feel like we should pitch it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's such a good idea. That's a great idea. Yeah, he's got green fingers, hasn't he? Bloody green fingers. <laughs> Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Maureen, what's this I hear about you going to film school? I am. I want to gain valuable skills while making films and developing my creativity. So I'm attending the New York Film Academy. I'm thinking about becoming one of them people that writes the numbers on the title board. NIFA is a very respected film school. I hear they offer a variety of options to meet your educational goals, whether you want a BFA or MFA degree or want to learn at a quicker pace with a short-term programme. That's right. They've got workshops and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, cinematography, screenwriting, producing, game design, musical theatre and more. Are you attending in New York? Might do. They have multiple campuses in some amazing locations like New York, LA, Miami, Italy, Australia and online. And you can learn more about the New York Film Academy at nyfa.edu. That's nyfa.edu. Thanks, Maureen. What's the film that made you cry the most? Now, we all know, as Denzel pointed out, you cry easily. Uh, yeah, again, very easy answer. It's uh, Saving Private Ryan. So I, after I graduated... No, no, I think I was still at uni when I saw this. Yeah, so I, yeah there you go. What a, what a... I know some people like to knock Spielberg and like to knock that film. I think it's mm. a, I think it's, I think it's a, a, a masterpiece. So it must've been like during, during a holiday at university, I went back to Leeds and I went with uh, my best mate, who was my best man at my wedding. I called a Bashar. I was his, we're each other's best men. Been friends since we were, we were children. And we went to, he's a big strapping dude. And he's not like me. He's not a, he's not a person in tears all the time. But we went to go see Saving Private Ryan on the, open, I think like on the opening night. And in this cinema in Leeds, the view in Kirkstall, opening night, it, there was a lot of, we think, war veterans, or we certainly think people who lived through the Second World War. And it was an incredibly okay. emotional screening. And so people were like gnashing and wailing. And obviously, you know, the, my, my granddad fought in World War II, and he, he saw that from the cinema, and he felt that that opening 20 minutes is the most realistic depiction of war that he's ever seen. You know, he thought it was remarkable. But the problem was all these pensioners were weeping and, you know, Spielberg's probably bringing up these memories. Me and Abbas, we didn't serve in World War II. We're j- we start joining in. We're saying the cinema. Ah, ah, why? Why? <laughs> As if we'd seen action. And the most harrowing thing that had ever happened to me at that point was like getting ID'd in the local pub, you know. <laughs> we really got we got I mean we weren't just crying I mean you know we were two steps away from the pensioners consoling us we were crying that hard <laughs> and so it was it was like projectile you know we took it in, like genuinely do you remember uh, Diana with Elton John at Versace's funeral we took it in turns to like console it's like it's iconic it's such a niche reference it's this iconic image of Diana like consoling Elton who's like ah. And so during the movie, we were like taking it in turns. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. 
And then on the way out the cinema, we were like, arms around each other, like still weeping. And this, we, we, we laugh about this now because I mean, it's so pathetic. And then we got we got a cab back. And when we got to uh, when we got to my house, I got out and I gave the <laughs> I tapped the top of the cab twice as if to say, Godspeed, soldier. <laughs> it's been an honor yeah. riding with you. And I would and I would serve with you again. Even though we just sat in a lovely cinema in uh, in Leeds. Here's my question for you. When you sat in the screening of Saving Private Ryan with World War II vets, did you have a big bucket of popcorn? And did you suddenly think we should stop eating this now <laughs> put this down? That was exactly the mood. That was it was that right, sort right, of mood. Right. We we are discrediting the memory of, you know, as I right. put as I put my nachos down to salute another fallen soldier. Um <laughs> I mean I mean, I, you know, I cry a lot, but the, the weeping, it was, you know, Richard Pryor's routine about uh, black people at a funeral compared to white people at a funeral. And then, he, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, we were, we were Richard Pryor's impression of the, the black woman at the funeral. <laughs> <laughs> You've never seen the bit. I think Richard Pryor ends up rolling on the floor for a, you know, and then, it, and, then it, and then the white person at the funeral, they like dab their eyes twice, you know. Oh, <laughs> so sad. Uh, yeah. Uh. That's a good answer. It, uh, my the the thing I also think about Saving Private Ryan. I think it is an excellent film, but I also think it's a good. I've got a theory about putting movie stars in films, right? And basically, you can have any movie stars you want in your film, but they've got to be in the first ten minutes. After that, you can't have any more movie stars because in Saving Private Ryan, it's really good. It's really engrossing, and then suddenly Ted Danson from Cheers pops up, and you go, "Oh look." Oh look, there's Sam Malone, and it like if he if he was in the beginning, it's okay, but it's too late to bring in Sam Malone. You can't bring him in. We're all crying and shit. I mean, he's cheered me up, but he's taken me right out. Of it. I can't I can't give a performance that takes you out of a movie more because 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 not only are you taken out of it, you start then thinking, oh great. I mean, obviously Ted Danson has had so many hits, especially on TV. I mean, he's a phenomenally I wealthy love him. man, love but him. you do think, oh great, Ted Danson's in this. He's yeah. Ted Danson's still working. <laughs> Yeah, right. What's the what's the film that is meant to be bad? Critics don't like it. Most people don't like it, but you love it unashamedly. I'm so I, I got very lucky with this one because I, I, you know me, I, I so many choices. But anyway, my wife and I on lockdown, like a lot of people, obviously watch a lot of movies, and so uh, we watched Green Book. And I'd been told by all my friends that Green Book was the lamest film ever. <laughs> And it's white people trying, you know, obviously made by white people uh, talking about race. And is there anything lamer than that? And it's lefties patting themselves on the back. And so all I'd heard was that this was like a terrible movie. People had said it was like the worst best picture winner in living memory. And some wife said, let's watch Green Book. And I was like, <laughs> no, this is going to be terrible. And so she pressed play. And so imagine me sat there. And I, when I watch a movie, I'm usually... I'm like I'm I'm giving the film a four goal lead, right? <laughs> the first time in my life this film is starting at least two nil down because I've heard yeah. so many bad things, right? So I'm going to this film thinking this is going to be a bucket of shit, mate. Fast forward to the end credits. My wife and I literally standing ovation off the sofa. Oh, what what a movie! Oh. You know what? You know what, Emily? I think we can bloody stop racism, and they've done it. <laughs> oh dear! So yeah, I, I know that you're very disappointed in me, and I'm and I'm I'm so surprised by how much 
I adored that film so hard. I thought it was wonderful. Do you know what? It's not that I saw. I saw it weirdly, or not weirdly. I saw it, it was the surprise film at the London Film Festival. So I saw it before I knew anything about. It. I didn't even know what it was called because it doesn't even say the title. In the Amazing. Film. So the whole film, I was like, I don't know what this film's called. And I watched the film, and I thought, well, this is like driving. This will be, you know, old people will watch this on a plane and have a nice time, and that's it. And we and we and we never need to speak about it again. And then it won a fucking Oscar. <laughs> I was like, what? One criticism yeah, on. of the film is that it's like Driving Miss Daisy. That is what people have, have said. Uh-huh. I think it's... Uh, the, you know, it reminded me of Planes, Trains and Automobiles. Oh, Jesus. You, this is getting worse. It's an odd, an odd couple eventually trying to make their way back home and all sorts of things go wrong. I thought it had a real warmth to it in the, in the vein of uh, Planes, Trains. And, I, I, and you know... Both both leads are wonderful. I'm such a sucker when the chemistry in a road movie is really strong. Then the film yeah, has got every good. single chance. And so you know, Midnight Run, the chemistry between those two is it's it's yeah. palpable. Planes, trains, you know, Please stop comparing the greatest... it to amazing films. You're going to lose. We're losing. <laughs> but I, th- I, th- I thought the chemistry between the two leads was yeah, yeah. Uh, was was really special. What's the? I mean, listen, I'm proud of you for you know standing up for whatever what is the what is what is the film you used to love you loved it but then you've watched it recently and it doesn't hold up for you so this was this was like the opposite of green book in that uh so i i'm a big fan of sky cinema so we watch a lot of movies on sky cinema and at christmas they do i feel like i'm doing an advertorial but yeah are they paying you for this yeah 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 i love sky cinema they're reasonably priced (laughs) and uh available go ahead and so uh, they did the Sky Sky Christmas Channel, and so a few years ago, Gremlins came on Sky Christmas, and so it was my turn to say, you know, flip flip the flip the roles. I go to Emily. This is a this when I was a kid. This is a classic. This is a masterpiece. I love that someone someone was giving their uh, their own commentary from their lounge. I think it was Sarah Sarah and Simon in Cheshire. That was wonderful. So I recommended Gremlins. So I put this film on. And I'm saying to Emily. This is a classic. Oh, my God. Oh, you are in for a treat. I present to you Gremlins. And we press play. And then after about maybe an hour, maybe the swimming pool scene, we both looked at each other. And I was like, Jesus Christ, this does not hold up at all well. So I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a bad movie, but I am saying it's not the masterpiece that I had remembered from my childhood. You know, I think it is. I think a lot of those films from the childhood that you then see now, they're so slow. And it's a gremlins takes fucking ages before they become gremlins. And you're like, we I've got this theory. I'm sure I've said this before. But if you if the plot is in the title, get on with it. We know we know gremlins are coming. And I tell you how we know, because your film's called gremlins. So why is it taking 50 minutes to get to gremlins? Open so with true. fucking. You've got the touch. You've spoiled it, or call it something else. Call it nothing happens, and then Gremlins turn out fifty minutes. Oh, wow! Absolutely, and, and also um, a friend once said to me, he "says the th- the thing with uh, nostalgia and remembering things from when you were young is it's not actually it's not the the thing that you remember being brilliant. It was probably the, the age you were when you first saw it. And so if I saw that when I was say eight years old, when the, your biggest concern is how long you'd get to play out that day. 
And so it's it's not necessarily that Gremlins was amazing. It was probably that the summer holidays were amazing when when I watched it. And that's yeah. I think a lot of movies from when you were a kid. Not all of them. Some of them do hold up. Uh, but that that was that was one I, I I can still feel the disappointment like in my chest as I'm as I'm oh, talking. No. About. Um, at least you you made up to each other by watching Green Book. What is <laughs> <laughs> what is in your very dysfunctional marriage? No disrespect. <laughs> Uh, what is what is the film that has the most meaning to you? Not necessarily the film itself is any good, but because the experience you had around seeing the film that will make it always special to you. James. So again, what I've done here, Brett, is I've deliberately removed the other two what we call no-no films that triggered, <laughs> films. That triggered all the weeping last time. The, the films last time were Batman Begins... Uh, because of the relationship between Bruce Wayne and uh, Alfred it was the same as my relationship with my... With your butler. With my butler. My butler, Richard Gill, which is my safe word. <laughs> uh, with no, my, go on. Your relationship with your... With my, with, with my granddad. So when I saw that film, again, project... But I'm not going to talk about that. I'm just, and we're explaining why we had to abandon the last episode was because the, the scene with you haven't given up on me... Have you, Alfred? Never. Which, which, again, absolute Niagara Falls of the memory, you know. So, couldn't put that. Uh, on Monday, just gone, I just celebrated 10 years of sobriety. A film that played a... No, stop it, stop it. A film that played a big part in that is uh, Back to Jeff Bridges, Crazy Heart. So, again, couldn't include that because I didn't want to be... I didn't want to be weeping for the uh, eighth time this this, this episode. The film I've gone for is, and it is still a truthful pick, is is Boyhood, uh, which, again, I think is a total masterpiece. Here we go. Hmm. Absolutely. A remarkable piece of work. The fact that it didn't win the Oscar is, st- is the sort of thing that still upsets me to this day. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, when you when you are but in they a They did make up for it by giving the Oscar to Green Book, so don't worry. <laughs> When you're in a relationship, you you know you like certain things and they don't like certain things, and and so on and so on. And so I love movies and have done out of the womb been a huge film fan. My wife movies it's not a natural fit, and so we would go. God bless her. We go to the cinema quite a lot in our in the early days of our courtship, and the credit the credits would roll on a movie, and I would think that I just witnessed a masterpiece because I think every film is amazing, and so the credits would roll, and I would turn to my wife, and every time she would hold up. Uh, marks out of she wouldn't say anything she'd just hold up marks out of 10 on her on her on her hands and so i credits would roll me probably cry my eyes out i turned to her and she'd do that hold up six out of ten <laughs> so the list that i'm holding up six fingers uh, on two hands by the way i just want to make that absolutely clear <laughs> <laughs> so I, so she, and i'd be like oh for god's sake so go see another movie that i thought was a masterpiece and i turned to her Seven out of ten. I'm like, fucking hell. Anyway, go to this film, Boyhood, and the credits roll. And I turn to my wife, and she's, not, you know my wife. She's not, a, she's not an emotional person like me. She's, t- she's tough. She's bored in school. She's hard as nails. And so the credits on the Boyhood roll, and I turn to, my, turn to my left, and my wife, for once, the tears are cascading yeah. down her face. And you know what she did, Brett? Both hands. 10 12 out of 12. Out of 10. Uh, <laughs> Great gag. Uh, and, that, and that was such a special one because I, I guess I... That's I, lovely. Yeah, that, that, then you realise, oh man, the thing that I love so much has finally 
got, you know, it's finally found a place in her heart as well, I guess. And uh, we. How never... long had you been together when that happened? Oh gosh, I wish I'd looked. What what year did what year did that film come out? You might, what a twist! If that film came out before we met, and I'm talking about another girl. <laughs> Amazing. We'll, look, we'll have to look up what year that came out, but uh, 2013. 20, so we would have been 2009, 2000, just a couple of years, so not, not long into the courtship. Oh, that's, that is a lovely and perfect answer, James Gill. And then, nice one. And then I got to interview Patricia Arquette, and I got, yeah. To, yeah, got to tell her that story. And, and, and again, you know, I'm very lucky, you know, pretty much all the people I've ever, pretty much all the heroes, people I look up to, they've all been an absolute delight, and she was... I put her right at the top of that list, and she really, she really loved that that anecdote about the, the ten out of ten, and then she shared what it was like to to win an Oscar. So meeting meeting and interviewing Patricia Arquette and telling her that story was like the perfect uh, tying it all up in a bow. Now I bought my wife that movie on on Blu-ray when Blu-rays were still a thing, mm-hmm. and and it was such a, a romantic symbolic gift. I remember her unwrapping it, thinking, "Wow, you know, this means a lot." And we've ne- we've never watched that film since we saw it at the cinema. And I think no, but J- like J- I know we could crack a gag about that. It's because she hates it, James. No, <laughs> because I think that w- that was such a perfect moment, the ten mm. out of ten. Uh, that why would you run the risk of not loving that film as much when you watch it a, a, a second time? Yeah, yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. You should just frame that frame that Blu-ray and leave it at that. Absolutely, have it as a nice thing on the wall. That's lovely, James Gill. I know your um, your mum and dad are watching. But, yeah, but uh, we can. We, this is fine. Oh, in fact, it's reminding me of a great story. I can, I can, I can. I write this down. Yeah. <laughs> What's the What is the film that you thought was the sexiest? Well, I've got. I I, I, was, I, I totally forgot about this anecdote. It just reminded me that my dad is watching this, and so my my actual answer is Trading Places. But I'll very quickly tell a story. Oh, here we go. Trading Places. Love it. Look, I know what you're thinking when you look at Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll get, I'll get on to trading places. When I lived with my folks under, I, I can't believe, I can't believe I'm telling this story. When I, when I lived with my folks, uh, I had under siege on VHS. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, the scene where she jumps out of the cake. Now there's a lot of, I imagine there's a lot of husbands with their wives pretending that they don't know what we're talking about. Well, I, no, no, love, I've never, I've, I don't even know what he's talking about. And the little voice in the head is going, I remember that bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> And there's a bit where Erica Elenayak jumps out of a cake and I was in the lounge uh, on my own downstairs and I watched that bit and I rewound it and I watched it again and I rewound it and I watched it again. And you know what, Brett? I bloody rewound it and I watched it again and I rewound it and I watched it again and I rewound it and I watched it again and I rewound it. Anyway, uh, tiptoe upstairs, hear a voice from mum and dad's bedroom. My dad, you enjoy that bit? Totally forgot that there was a cable connecting the VHS to mum and dad's oh, no, bedroom. No, no, Is that when you moved out immediately in that moment? That's so bad. I mean, that is that is unre- that is like unrecoverable shame. That's probably the best answer I've ever given to a question ever, and I've only just remembered the story. But because the bit the bit I've got the bit I've got written down is J- Jamie Lee Curtis in Trading Places. Now, I, I don't know about anyone else, but maybe because of VHS, but I was. I watched a lot of films. When I say as a child, I mean like under the age of 10. I watched a lot of movies that I definitely should not have watched because I think I just take them and then watch them on, on my own. And I watched Trading Places when I was a very literal child. 
And so I saw Jamie Lee Curtis, and obviously, you know, there's, the, there's, there's that scene. And then also there's the scene with the, where for, now, for people who are, I would say maybe under 30, you, you will not, you've missed out on something. And, and, I, and, I, and I would say that you're very lucky that you have missed out on it. Because in movies, for no reason whatsoever, in the 80s, women just got their boobs out. I mean, apropos of nothing. There is a scene in Trading Places, there's a house party, and people start dancing, and one woman clearly thinks, this random party's so good, I'm going to get my boobs out. So, this was a genuine phenomenon in 80s American comedies, where I imagine a movie producer from the 80s, like, being frozen or being in a coma, coming, being woken up now, being on a movie set, watching the film being made, going, yeah, this is great. Anyway, what time are all the girls getting their boobs out? <laughs> and this, the like, police academy, for no reason, yeah. there's the shower scene where Mahoney's watching the, I mean, but this, this happened in movie after movie after movie, and it, and I will genuinely say thankfully, without sounding like, trying to be like Mr. Right on or anything, but obviously, I, I, I could be wrong, but I, I just don't think that that is a thing anymore. It's sort of been phased out over time. But I would say Trading Places is not even the tip of the iceberg when it comes to what I would call 80s boobs. But uh, but given I watched it as a child and the profound impact it had on me seeing Jamie Lee Curtis, things were never, I'll be honest with you, the things were were never quite the same again. So, um, (laughs) yeah. I mean, I saluted saluted at Private Ryan. I I, I would also salute uh, Jamie Lee Curtis right now. yeah, I, w- I would. Th- thank you. Jamie, thank you for everything that y- you've done for me. Thank you. I, think I've, I know that the ending is very problematic, obviously, but I do believe Trading Places to be one of the greatest comedies ever made. And, and I, it's arguably... Now, Eddie Murphy is such a... I, I, I worship Eddie Murphy. It might be Eddie Murphy's best movie, but not paradoxically, but perhaps weirdly, I think Dan Aykroyd is the man of the match in that movie. I think he's he's astonishing. The scene when he's dressed as the Santa and with the fish and the and when he tries yeah. to shoot himself and something I that scene in terms of if you're talking black comedy that scene is is it's ten out of ten. So uh, while I salute Jamie Lee Curtis, I I, I love the the film in general as well. Um, there's a subcategory to this question: It's troubling boners, worrying why dons. Uh, a film you found arousing that you weren't sure you should. Now, James Gill, what is your troubling boner, please? So if I'm honest with you, I'm I'm really really happy with how this has gone so far. I feel I've given a very good account of myself. You've been if, brilliant. If anyone is so listening far. and they don't know who I am, up until now they're probably thinking, "What a likable chap!" I must buy a ticket. <laughs> I must buy a ticket to always be comedy and or cast him uh, as the lovable sidekick in a new major motion picture. If you are thinking that, please, for the love of God, stop this podcast now, as I. <laughs> Out myself as a twenty-four carat nonce. <laughs> it's finally happened. So what? So I would just like to say that all of these people in these movies were in their twenties at the time, and I am prepared to say that in a court of law in front of a jury. So because I have two young girls and they love Disney Plus, there are certain. Films I am sweating. While I'm honestly. <laughs> It's like I'm. It's like I'm confessing to a crime that I don't need to confess to. I know. James, what's your favourite colour? I, I killed several people in the eighties. 
So there, there, are, there are these movies that have been made for the, the, the Disney Channel. There's a film called Descendants 3, which imagines... Yeah, that's that's oh. got a laugh from a, a from a, a pair, I think. There's a, movie called Descendants, there's a movie called Descendants 3, and it imagines what if the famous Disney villains had uh, villainous offspring, and it's like, they're very... Uh, they're music... Like, thigh-slapping musicals. Uh, so there's Descendants 3. There's High School Musical 3, which, which is probably the... Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a policewoman laughing. <laughs> and then there's another Disney musical called Zombies Two, right? And so I just like to I just like to go on record and say that the actor in I'm not going to name the names just to play it absolutely safe. Twenty three years old, and the other two are in the twenties, and that is absolutely fine. But anyway, to answer the question properly, what happens is we sit down as a family to watch one of these films, and obviously you should be thinking, "Oh, what a lovely family moment!" And then the little voice in your head is going, "Oh God." Uh, James, will you go get the popcorn? Yep, in about <laughs> 10 minutes. <laughs> James Gill. I mean, round of applause for shopping yourself in. I'm very, very proud of you. Um, if you're going to be asked a question, you have to answer it honestly. What is, uh, let's, let's move on before someone has time to report this. What is the, what's the film you most related to? So it's not. It, 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 so to answer the question, it, it's Adam Sandler in the Wedding Singer. But, it, but in actual fact, uh, it is it is just Adam Sandler as a concept is the thing that I related to the most. So there's a very famous Bill Hicks routine where he talks about smoking, and he said he talks about um, you want to shop around and find the find the packets that says something like warning causes birth defects, and because he's a man, it won't impact him. And the line is great line found my brand. <laughs> Right, and so when, when two th- like David Letterman and Adam Sandler, when they came into my life, I was a teenager, and I had that feeling of found my brand. These were my, these were like my Letterman and Sandler, like my absolute guys. They like spoke to my uh, Karen Howlett was on our front row once. Said that like when she saw Nick Helm, she said it was like someone had like reached into her soul, and I could relate. I could relate to that with. So I feel that way about Letterman and, and Sandler, and that the character of. Uh, so there's Robbie Hart in The Wedding Singer, there's Barry Egan in Punch Drunk Love, and then there's obviously Happy Gilmore in Happy Gilmore. And what Adam Sandler has created there are three guys, it's not for me to say this, but someone someone who is, um, someone who always tries, someone who tries to do the right thing, but then he's prone to comical bouts of occasional rage. And it's something that I channel at Always Be Comedy when I like pretend to scream at Richard Gill because he's, Singing into his tennis racket or whatever, and so when I saw, when I saw Sandler in in the Wedding Singer, I just thought, oh my god, that's a that that is a performance that, uh, as Karen says, has like reached into my soul. And so I I know Sandler is you know he's sort of like he's a real Marmite guy, isn't he? I know so he's not for some people. I I love him so hard, and I will always love him. And so yeah, the the it, the the performance and the movie that I I that I relate to the, the most was, was Sandler's Robbie Hart, The Wedding Singer. I, I adore That's that. That's a great show. Yeah, adore it. Uh, his stand-up special on Netflix is one of my favourite stand-up specials ever. I love him. Great so answer. Good. What is the film, objectively, you think is objectively the greatest film of all time? And if you say Green Book, I'm going to cut you. <laughs> there is a Disney Channel movie starring some children... <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, let's stop the podcast <laughs> and. Uh... <laughs> So look, Brett, you and I, we are we are cinephiles, we are movie lovers, we've seen them all. You know, I know you know some people think that, you know, the, the Godfather or Lawrence of Arabia or you know, and so you know, Wings and, and so on and so on and so on. But objectively, the greatest film of all time is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I Lovely answer. Yeah. Lovely answer. Yeah. From the first nanosecond to the last, I wouldn't change a thing about that film. It is just a, it is a perfect, you know, we've all got favorite movies, but there's probably the odd scene that we would like, you know, training place is a great example. Obviously the problematic scene at the end, you know, you can't get over that, but with plain strains and automobiles, there is not a single thing I would, I would change about that film. Watched it when I was a kid, loved it as a kid, probably the film that I've seen the most. And it's a classic case. You know, we all own, or many of us will own planes, trains, but if it is on telly, it doesn't matter what the time is. And, it, you know, I could have done a gig. I'd be downstairs. It might be 11 o'clock. I'd be all right time to go, go to bed. And I see that Planes, Trains is on Sky Comedy or whatever. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I've got to watch yeah. it to the end. The You know, two of the greatest performances of all time. You know, you're talking chemistry. It, it simply does not get better than those two. Now, I'm not saying that a, a great comedy has to have great set pieces but you could argue that planes, trains, and automobiles, virtually every scene in that movie is a 10 out of 10 set piece. Uh, and it, you've just got two guys at the absolute peak of their powers. And I know that the most famous scene is, uh, those aren't pillows. <laughs> you know, yeah. One of the greatest scene, scenes ever, but they're, they're all wonderful. And then the, you know, the ending will, it is a it is a punch to the soul that you will never recover from in the in the most beautiful way possible, and uh, it, it's it is it is cinematic uh, perfection. It's a film that has served me so well. When I was at uni, I played a lot of football, and we you know we were very immature lads, and we would spend a lot of time with each other, and you'd end up keeping at each other's houses. What I'm going to say is I've slept with a lot of lads, but not like that. So. We went on this tour. We went on this tour in America, and we got thrashed by all these American colleges at, at what they would call soccer. But there were lots of lads sharing beds in hotels, and the, we, you'd crack the same gag every morning. Those aren't pillows. <laughs> uh, it's it is a, a film for uh, it is a film for the ages. That is um, such a good answer. I think I'm going to let you off all all the crimes you've admitted to. You will be emailing me at three in the morning going, it was all right, right? I didn't, I didn't, they don't think I'm actually a pedo, do they? <laughs> what, what is the film you could or have watched the most over and over again that isn't playing straight and automobiles? Well, you know what? It, it, the answer is The Untouchables, which again is just wall to wall set pieces. We're talking charisma. People knock Connery because he, he, he's not really doing an, an Irish accent, but a bit like. I know I defend everyone, but he's a bit like a bit like James Coburn in The Great Escape, who people knock him because he's not doing a very good Australian accent. If your charisma is yeah. fifteen, if is fifteen out of ten, if you're coming at it fifteen out of ten level charisma, I will forgive you anything. And Coburn in Escape, his charisma comes through the screen. Connery in Untouchables, you have never seen anything like it. If you have no idea who Sean Connery was, and that was the first film you ever saw. I swear to God, I would bet my bottom dollar you would be going, who the hell is that guy? Because he, he's he's got it all. He's just so wonderful. 
all of his scenes are amazing. But I mean, like the scene with uh, Andy Garcia, and there's a great behind the scenes of how they made it. And it's the one where uh, he says something disparaging when he finds out that George Stone isn't his real name. Oh, I knew it. And he finds out his real name is Giuseppe Pedri. Do you remember that bit? Yeah. So, yeah. Unto- again, Untouchables is, again, one of those movies that is responsible for a lot of uh, late bedtimes. But then a film was on the other day, Dead Man's Shoes. And I forgot, yeah, I forgot how much I adored that film. And that is, that's another movie that I've seen uh, multiple times. What a, what an absolute masterpiece. Paddy Considine in that, remarkable. What is, we don't like being negative. You don't, I don't. But what's the worst film you've ever seen? As you know, I'm I'm super positive. But a film that, a film that, I'll get onto my pick, but a film that really upset me, and it still upsets me now, is Anchorman 2, which stars some of my favourite comedians, you know, not some of my favourite comedians, some of my favourite people ever in that movie. I love James Marsden, I think he's wonderful. Harrison Ford is in that movie. And you've got all that talent and to just fuck it up and piss it up against the wall. When the credits rolled on that movie, I was fucking livid. And I just thought, what a waste of talent. And I and this was, that for me sums up when Hollywood went through that period where those guys just thought, huh, we'll just improv it. And you just think, could you fucking try a bit harder, perhaps? You know, you've got a film like, maybe have a great spine of a movie. You know, Planes, Trains, Automobiles, one of the most perfect scripts of all time. And we then come to, I just thought, we were paying money to watch a lot of millionaires think that they can do improv. And most of those fuckers cannot do improv. Obviously, Will Ferrell, one of the all-time greats. He can do improv. But he's just got a load of famous people fanning around. And I just thought, given the... Honestly, it's a bit like uh, Simon on the front row is a big football fan. It's like when you're watching a load of... what You, you know, like when, when football fans get angry. A load of overpaid, pampered, prima donnas fucking about... Uh, and so I, that, that was... I remember seeing your quote on the poster, Fanny in around, James Gill, Balance magazine. Anchorman 2 is just fat, it's fannying around. But but my actual pick... What's your worst film? Absolutely the worst film I will hopefully ever see in my life, and I went to the cinema to go see this, is Battlefield Earth. Tom wow. Travolta's love letter to Scientology. And now you could argue... What you could argue quite rightly, what the fuck are you thinking? You knew it was going to be shit. Why did you go see that? So me and a mate, we were like, oh, we'll go see it, and it'll be so shit. It'll be am- it'll yeah. be amazing. And uh, no, it's it's just <laughs> it's just appalling. I think there's the, I think the opening scene, Barry Pepper is riding on a horse, and someone comes up to him and goes, um, "The gods took your." This is the opening line of one of the, the gods took your father in the night, and then Barry Pepper in slow motion goes, "No." And so, and so, from the opening seconds, you know that you're in fucking trouble. You know, <laughs> and, it was, and the, the credits rolled, and my friend and I said to each other, we both said the same thing. Well, I thought you were enjoying it. Well, well, I thought you were enjoying it. I wanted to walk after half an hour. I wanted to walk after no, half an hour. No. Out of out of sheer politeness, we watched it in its entirety, and it's uh, it's there's some amazing people. You know, Barry Pepper's in it, Forrest Whitaker's in it. I mean, you know, Travolta's an icon. Uh, Kelly Preston's in it. But um, it's it is unwatchable. Such a shame because if it had been better, I was going to join Scientology. Yeah. What is heard great things? What is wait? Listen, you're in comedy. You're one of the greats. What's the film that made you, James Gill, laugh the most? Laugh the most, not necessarily the one he thinks the best. Absolutely. So you know, 
I would love to be. I'd love to be uh, cerebral and say it, it's the apartment, you know, which is a, a fine movie. Or I'd love to say it's classic Sellers or the, the Marx Brothers, or you know. But no, the film that met, that still makes me laugh the most is, is Happy Gilmore, starring Adam Sandler. Lovely, an absolute powerhouse performance. The script is really smart. I once I once read that uh, someone described David Letterman as. Um, Something like d- dumb comedy made by smart people. Have you have you heard of that concept before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dumb comedy made by smart people, and I think that's something that I think there's a real crossover with Sandler and, and Letterman, and, and Sandler does that so well. Uh, he makes it appear like dumb comedy, but something I it's it's a smart movie. And is it Chris McDonald who plays uh, Shooter McGavin? Yeah, yeah. One of the greatest. Too. I think I, I've tw- I tweeted this, and it, it it went down surprisingly well. I think that's the greatest villain in cinema history. I think <laughs> yeah. he is. He doesn't yeah. get the he doesn't get the credit he deserves. He's 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 wonderful. That that now that, again, I'll do my extra Sky Cinema plug. That's the film that's on Sky seemingly every night. If you've not seen it, which is on Sky Cinema, very reasonably <laughs> priced. <laughs> James, you've been you've been absolutely wonderful as expected. However, when you were a um, great grandfather. And lockdown 79 happened and you, oh no, it was COVID 79, lockdown 82, I believe. And you had just been handed a day's work by a teacher who said, you're doing homeschooling for your great grandkids. And you said, am I? Am I really? And you picked up a pen. The grandkids were there and they went, granddaddy, we love you. We're so excited about spending the day with you. And you looked them deep in the eyes and you said, yeah, you're excited, are you? You took the pen and you slammed it into your own throat and you you fell to the floor and bled out and by the way it took ages for you to die and your grandkids stood around watching as blood bubbled out of your neck and they were screaming and screaming and you and you looked at them and you said earn this (laughs) 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 and then i've got got to share with you so i'm not i'm not really you know I'm not one of these people, because we don't have time, but I'm not one of these people that go on message boards, right? Because there's not enough hours in the day. But there was one time I went on a private Ryan message board and someone non-ironically had put, um, I've got a question uh, about the film, about the ending of Saving Private Ryan. Uh, and they put, um, the, the final line uh, that, that, that Tom Hanks says, I just want to ask, who is Ernest? And they thought Tom Hanks's final line was, Ernest. <laughs> Incredible. So look, uh, I came round your house because um, you, your wife called me and she said, oh, he was supposed to be homeschooling and he's he's absolutely opted out. And I said, what do you mean? She said, can you come around and help? And I turn up and you're on the floor. You're in an absolute state. Your body's a wreck. And um, you've the blood is sort of congealed. There's more of you than I was expecting. I did bring a coffin as I'm always generally carrying one around. I put. I have to cut you out. The grandkids help me. We get a couple of knives out. We carve you up. We put you in this coffin. We stuff you in. It's absolutely rammed. But there's only enough room in this coffin now for you to slip one DVD into the side with you, for you to take to the other side. And on the other side, it's movie night every night. And one night, it's your movie night. What film are you taking to show everyone in heaven when it's your movie night, Mr. James Gill? I've written down The Great Escape, but I think if it's my movie night, and I want everyone to have a great time. I've got to go planes, trains, and automobiles. Wonderful. And I don't think anyone else is taking it. You're going to be very welcome in heaven, despite all your numerous crimes. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Will you please give a round of applause for brilliant Mr. James Gill. What a wonderful guest. Um. Right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to record uh, the, the proper ending that I do to the podcast. But just before I do that, I do genuinely, genuinely want to thank you all. It probably means a lot that we're here together in this time, that you've given us your time, that we get to hang out, as weird as it is. I like that I get to see you in my attic. makes me feel alive. <laughs> and, and I really appreciate James doing this. And uh, just a round of applause for James. He did such a great fucking job. And to yourselves. All right, so here's the official ending to the podcast. So that was the live episode. Special shout out to Tim, who did all the tech. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to Acast for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics. Lisa Lydon for the photography. And most of all, thank you all for being here. In the meantime, all of you have a great week. And please, be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind. Sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more. Online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.